Well, it is great to be back here on Out of the Main in what is, I guess, officially the Yacht Rock season. Uh, we've passed Memorial Day. We're in June now. John, welcome back. Hi. Seems like I haven't been away. No, you haven't. <laughs> it's been noticeable. <laughs> <laughs> but, yes, the uh, albatross hanging over your shoulders, I yes. guess. All right. Well, speaking not of albatrosses, but of welcoming people back, we're mm-hmm. really excited to welcome, I think this is the first time a guest has appeared three times on the podcast, but uh, to rave reviews every time, please welcome back drummer extraordinaire, Mr. Tris Bowden. Hey, Tris. Hey, guys. Uh, thank you for having me. Of course, we we do get rave reviews whenever we're on or you're on. So yeah. uh, it's also a lot of uh, top billing to live up to. So, but the, <laughs> <laughs> this will be great. Uh, we're going to do something a little different. Um, we've interviewed you a couple times in the past, so uh, we did an album focus episode with you. Uh, going over Kenny Loggins' High Adventure Records. So we'll link to those in the show notes for people who haven't seen those, because this is, John, going to be something a little different right. that you conceived of, but that I am giving the title Triss's Top 10 Tom Tom Ticklers. Ooh, <laughs> there's some alliteration. Oh, I'm baby. Well, <laughs> the idea for this is simply to talk to, I mean, Triss is one of the legendary uh, yacht rock drummers, right? Classic central part of the foundation era with the with Kenny Loggins. So we wanted to talk with Tris and find out what his influences are. I mean, it seems like a stock question, but I asked him to create a list. Top 10 drummers, they could be the ones that influenced him. They can be his favorites. They can be the ones he studied, however he wanted to order those. And he sent us this list and we're going to count down the, the top 10 and let Tris, tell us why they're on the list. That's right. But Tris, you should know that John and I, being the um, competitive brothers that we are, have a, have a little side action going. <laughs> yes. So, uh, yes. So what we've a done, action. Yeah, yeah, we've we've each compiled a list of the top five that we predict will be in your top five, hopefully. Huh. And whoever gets more of them correct wins fabulous prizes and, of course, bragging rights, which yes. is the fabulous prize. Is this going to be on a weighted scale, or is it just one point if you, if it's on the list anywhere? Well, school's out for the summer, so we're okay. not going to do any math. No Let's math. just count All them right. up. If there's a Very tiebreaker good. needed, we will go to the rest of the top 10 okay. and see if there's any top, you know, any of Tris's drummers that appear in his top 10 that are also in top, top idea. Five. Top yeah. idea, Tom. All right. Uh, so real quick, before we jump into that, Tris, just give us a quick highlight. Uh, what's been keeping you busy? We know you've moved from the West Coast to the uh, what the West Coast of Florida. Yeah, actually, it's the East Coast of Florida. I'm on the Atlantic Ocean here. And, uh, okay. Yeah. It's a big change for us, but we're loving it. Um, and the water's a whole lot warmer than Southern California. <laughs> <laughs> but the surface isn't as good, I would no, imagine. No, it's not. It has days that are amazingly good, but but uh But that was a hurricane, so you couldn't go out in that. Yeah, so. right. <laughs> and we were blessed with the uh our bapt our baptismal was like back to back hurricanes. Uh both yes. Ian and yes. Nicole. So they're oh, just yeah. in time for those. So. Well, we'll talk a little bit, too. We know you've been active with Tristan Bowden's uh, Yacht Stars, right? So we'll come back to that in a little bit. And But we've been following along online. I got to tell you, the video, even though it's shot with, like, cell phone cameras, it's the sound, you can tell the sound is, like, spectacular. John, have you caught any of these? Yeah, yeah. Oh, man, thank you. Thank you, you guys. Yeah, I'm really proud of the band. And, and uh, our sound guy is just an ace as well. And uh, and the band is just getting better and better too. I mean, we um, 
for the most part, haven't even performed that much. We've only done like four or five shows, but every every one we've done, I mean, it just goes up in level. And yeah, I'm I'm really happy about it. What about uh, last time we talked, you were either in the midst of or starting to work on uh, recording a track or two for uh, Firefall. What's your status of that? Have you completed those yet or what? Yes, yes. And I was just trying to find out whether it's been released or not. Jock Bartley, uh, the guitarist and leader of the band, uh, swore he was going to uh, let me know when it was uh, released, but I haven't heard uh, heard anything about it. We being haven't released seen it yet. So, um, but yeah, it was really a joy to do, and uh, man, they sound amazing. And uh, without spilling the beans too much, that album is is really kind of cool because they're uh, they're actually the concept was was to record songs, um, cover songs actually uh, of bands that they had worked with on stage. So uh, yeah. uh, I got to play on uh, a tune that I think is going to be the first single. Um, it's a heart song called what about love and, uh, um, yeah. hearts guitar player, Howard, uh, Oh God, I'm trying to remember his last name. Yeah. Denny Carmacy was the original drummer on that. Yes. Yeah. Wasn't he? Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 And, uh, Mark Andes, I believe played too. Uh, he was on that as well. That's correct. Although he's not on the firefall version. He just left right before. Uh, they started oh. this project, but the new bass player and and singer is unbelievable. He is so great, and I'm, I'm I've got his name right here. It's uh, John Bisaha, I think is how you say it. And man, what a powerhouse! And then I played on on another track too. Uh, it's a cover of a Leonard Skinner tune, and uh, Lance Holpen. The uh, the bass player from Orleans. Orleans. I haven't even met either of these guys, but I feel like I oh, uh, I know them intimately now. You so, do, yes. <laughs> after having played, yeah. yes. Well, Lance has also been on the podcast multiple times. Couple so, times, yeah. Oh, yeah. cool. So, yeah, I, yeah that's yep. right. Yeah. And Mark, Mark was too before him, and Jock, of course. But yeah. like any good bass player, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to sit here in the pocket and yep. follow along as the drummer leads me on a journey here. John, this was your baby, so okay. why don't you kick us off and we will get into the mind of Tris M. Bowden. Okay, we're going to do a top ten list of, what is it, Tom? Tris's top Tom Tom Ticklers? Tris's top ten Tom Tom Ticklers. It's <laughs> okay. So, rolls off it's the simple. tongue. It does. <laughs> All right. We're gonna, here, I'm going to quickly go through ten through six. Uh, so we can concentrate more on the top five. Okay. So on the list that he sent us, uh, number 10, we'll let you comment on these after we get this first group down here, Tris. So we had J.R. Robinson. So there's a yacht legend, right? Oh, man. Hal Blaine. I mean, <laughs> John Bonham. Yeah. Who's he? <laughs> <laughs> Mitch Mitchell of the Jimi Hendrix Band. Right. And Richie Hayward of the Moody Blues. So that's 10. No, no, Little Feet. Oh, Little Feet. Who's um? You're thinking who's of the, Justin uh, Hayward, the singer. Justin Hayward. All right, Richie Hayward, Little Feet. All yeah. right. So you've already uh, chimed in. So here, that's ten through six. Anything else you want to add uh, to that before you uh, correct me on everything else? I have? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I think. Uh, yeah, I, I believe that uh, was the order uh, too. Yep. Yeah. And you had also mentioned uh, honorable mentions. You had Greg Bissonnette and Carlos Vega as well. Oh. Not to mention a bunch of jazz guys, which is an entirely different uh, place to yeah, go. Yeah, exactly. I didn't want to include all of that because uh, they were 
so important to me, all the jazz players as well. But but yeah, Greg and, and Carlos for sure. Well, I have a, a, a question. Well, I don't know if this is going to be a good thing or a bad thing ultimately, but we're not in the top five and you've already ticked off two of my predictions. Oh. So um, mm. I predicted that you would have John Robinson in your top yeah. five. I find a lot of similarities between your um, penchant for staying in the pocket and then picking your moments and uh-huh. JR doesn't seem like a real big Phil or frills guy. So um, not that you can't be, it's just that you yeah. seem to show more self-constraint than some. Um, and then for people who don't know who Hal Blaine is, he was in my prediction uh, because I thought of him as a predecessor to sort of the yacht session. Cat. He so is. Just, yes. who, who's Hal Blaine dress and why? Well, Hal Blaine uh, before John Robinson, who now I think holds the title of the most recorded drummer in history. Hal Blaine for years was the go-to drummer on just about every record that I know knew and loved uh, from the past. And, uh, and you guys, I'm sure too. That's why I'm wearing my uh, t-shirt here. I have a Neil Diamond bang records t-shirt on here. I was going to reveal that for the people that are on the video, they can see it, but that's because Hal Blaine played on a lot of those early Neil Diamond records and then the monkey stuff and all of that. So I, 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 play, I wore this for Hal Blaine. Man, that's wonderful. Hal Blaine, I had the privilege of getting to know, and, uh, he was one of the funniest, most witty and just humble uh, an amazing human being. But uh, one of the funniest things, uh, comments I ever heard about Hal Blaine was, was uh, somebody had written in Modern Drummer magazine uh, that they were never more disappointed than when they found out their top 10 favorite drummers, who we are, were Hal Blaine. <laughs> <laughs> Look like Karen Carpenter, Mickey Dolenz. These are probably their top ten. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so in in my mind, again, this is maybe just uh, me not being the expert. I, I always think of because he's sort of like a founding father of the Wrecking Crew, yeah. right? Exactly. Oh yeah. And the Wrecking Crew was the the go to call session guys, right? In L.A. before you cats came along, and then yeah. kind of everything was a Picaro or an Emboden or, or what have you, yeah. right? Which we've chronicled on the show. So that's why I thought perhaps you would look to him and apparently you did as sort of a forefather of yours. True? Absolutely. He and Carol Kay. And I mean, they did everything from the beach boys mm-hmm. to the, you know, yep. he played on the bird stuff too, you know, uh, uh, before Mike, Mike Clark started recording with the birds and, and uh, good God, Nancy Sinatra. I mean, everything you can imagine. If you look up on all music, which is kind of fun to do under the credits. You just, it'll blow your mind. You know, everything that he, he played on. For bass players though, Tom, Carol Kay, if you want to learn how to play a melodic bass line with a pick, study some Carol Kay. Why would I want to do that? I can't even learn it the way I'm playing it now. Well, this is true. (laughs) What were you going to say? You're uh, taking us somewhere? Well, I was just going to say, I don't know. Good news, bad news. I've got two right, but I've also been that I've got two wrong in my top five. That's so, true uh, because they're in the bottom five, but they could be used as tiebreakers. So true, true. You want to move on to the top five and really dive in? You just wanted to hit the pun bell. That's all you wanted. I did. Hey, before we get back up to hydroplane speed, just a quick reminder that you too can become a contributor to the content of this show by becoming a sponsor. Just cruise on down to the show notes at the bottom of every episode and click the Anchors Away Support the Podcast link to gain inside access to submitting content ideas. And you too could even come on the show 
drop anchor and opine on the subject of your choice. Okay, boys, you can have your pun bell back. Hey, you ever thought about calling it your dinghy? At number five on your list, Tris, you have Al Jackson. So why don't you give us some background on who Al is and what he means to you? Al Jackson is, is was, rather, <laughs> rest his soul. Um, he passed away in the 70s. Um was the drummer with Booker, Booker T and the MGs, but not just that. He was the drummer on on like the lion's share of those Stax recordings, uh, as well as later on, uh, he was the main drummer in the high HI rhythm section in Memphis uh, that recorded all those incredible Al Green records, and all of those those records that came out of high records, as well as continuing with Booker T and the MGs. And for me, Al Jackson was just like the college course in in groove, taste, pocket, like placement of uh, full note value of eight notes and two and four and dropping the bass and leaning on the chorus maybe or laying back, you know, for a lyric or, you know, and man, so simple, but so deceptively simple. He was so complex in his simplicity. He was just so intuitively knowledgeable about, I mean, seemingly I never got to talk to the guy and I got, I would have given my left arm to, to do well, maybe not. Then I wouldn't wor- be working, but. You know. <laughs> well, Hey, now Def Leppard have figured well, it out. That's so. right. <laughs> <laughs> and he's, well, now that's testament to the human spirit, man. Amen. <laughs> yeah, guy, sure oh my God. Rick. And what a yeah. great guy he is too. Yeah. Uh, and drummer. But uh, yeah, so anyway, Al Jackson just meant so much to me because I mean, early on, you know, those those early Booker T records as well, you know, Green Onions and all that stuff, just hit me upside the head. I love the the groove; it's just ridiculous. Would you make tapes and like put on headphones and play along? I mean, this will be a question probably for all these drummers coming up. But was that part of your process for learning these guys, or would you just listen? You know, I just listened. Uh, actually, I know a lot of guys used to like to play along with records, uh, but I I would listen and try to to glean what was happening, and then sit down by myself and try to generate that feel when I practiced. Um, That was my process. That's just how I did it. All right. Well, should we move on to drummer number four? Yeah, let's hear about drummer number four. Go ahead, Tom. So drummer number four probably is best known to listeners of this podcast as somebody who worked in the Asia sessions for Steal It In, but of course, way much more. And I... Uh, I think I saw him last summer, didn't you? Did he the, yes, he was the touring drummer with James Taylor, even as recently as last summer. So this is uh, Mr. Rick Morata. Well, Rick, man, that guy. Now there's another guy. Talk about pocket and and being content to sit in it. He is a, another one, man. I can't say enough about that guy either, man. I he just fascinates me because he never. His want 
to go to the hot dog stand <laughs> when it's not even remotely necessary or or appropriate you know i mean he he is so happy to just sit back and and groove that groove on peg man i got to tell you that thing was just so sick But anything he's he's touched, it, it's the same story. Uh, I remember recording it uh, with Crosby, Stills, and Nash, and I was I was in the day after Rick had been in to do a track, and Glenn Johns was producing him that, and uh, God, what an honor that was, man. Uh, but but they they told me, oh God, you should have seen Rick yesterday. It was like watching a pit bull with a T-bone. <laughs> <laughs> He just he devoured that track. I mean, just like, yeah. You know, you, know, you mentioned the, the Peg thing, man. But they focused on that, on Peg, and they focused on him doing the groove. And he talked about the little nuance he does with the hi-hat, where he just opens it a little bit, and he gives you that variance. It's like, that's what makes it so groovy. And my takeaway anytime I listen to Rick is that his fills feel like they still fit in the groove. The groove doesn't stop for him to fill. Exactly. It's like it's almost almost feels like it's layered over the top, even though it isn't. Yeah, no, totally. Absolutely, man. Yeah. And I uh, try. I had uh, occasion to uh, more than one to try to recreate that that song specifically. I, I was touring with Jay Graydon, whom I know you guys have had on the yep. uh, the show. Yep. The Jay Graydon All Stars. We went to Japan and Scandinavia, and he would go about and and uh, and introduce everybody in the band. But by when uh, Sherwood Ball would go up and say, and on good lead guitar, Jay Graydon, and we go, bop, 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 da, 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 da. <laughs> Oh, nice. <laughs> so, but I'd be damned if I could really nail that, that part. Uh, would Jay play his solo over that when you guys go into play? Would he yeah. do yeah. oh, oh, cool. well, part nice. of it anyway? Yeah, yeah, killer. The thing I remember about that, uh, particularly that beat in that video, the making of the Asia album, was he said he had always been doing those little nuances, but when recording with Fagan and Becker was the first time he heard them back in the final mix. Ah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, because most of the records he was playing on, they wanted to just have the heavy goose on the, you know, the two and the four and the gated whatever. And, you know, the little nuances, the hats got buried in the mix. Yeah, so. and the ghost notes and all of that. In the ghosting, yeah, yeah, yeah all yeah. too often that yeah, that's the case, yeah. All right, number three, number three, David Garibaldi, another funky cat. Tell us about your uh, what you what your feelings are about David Garibaldi. Garibaldi, and I, I recently saw him play again, and he is, he, I believe, just a, a, maybe two years older than me, but maybe one of the most important and innovative and influential drummers of any that that I can even begin to think of. He, I, he and Rocco Prestia, the bass player from Tower of Power, 
virtually created what went on to become jazz fusion, as far as I'm concerned. They were the go-to guys as to uh, possible possibilities for chopping up, you know, and dicing and slicing time. Uh, <laughs> uh, the way David conceptually looks at things, it's it's so different than than just about any other drummer I've I've ever encountered. Although now everybody has a little David in them, it seems like I I know I have more mm. than a, my share. <laughs> I uh, I've studied him so much, but uh, he is just funkier than a two day old band aid man. And I'm, <laughs> I'm telling you, and and that feel man is so ridiculous. Inside of how complex, you know, some of the that his choice of notes and patterns are, you know, and uh, man, I've just uh, I can't say enough again about him. I'm I say that about all these guys, but uh, I have a question, yeah. Tris. So, um, do you consider yourself as having like not necessarily consciously created, but like a sort of Tris and Bowden recipe that? Bring a little of the funk in, a little of the rock stuff in, a little of the who the jazz elements in, or do you consider yourself more as sort of an amoeba that can move and go where the song or the genre or the session takes you? Do you know what I'm asking? Like you feel like you you are always a blend of everything you've kind of learned through osmosis, or do you apply bits of it where appropriate? Well, that's a really good question. Yeah, Tom. I uh I think that uh I've had to be amoeba-like, depending on on the the musical situation, and I hope to to be successful as an amoeba, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, because I've gotten to uh, have the the great fortune of being able to play in you know jazz situations and you know funk more funk oriented R and B and then, you know, straight ahead rock and roll and some real heavy rock and roll situations as well. So I don't know if I'm answering your question, but I, I think I'm, I'm more of a, an amoeba, I guess. I think of, of when I hear Jeff Percaro, I know I'm hearing Jeff Percaro, whether he's playing for Barbara Streisand or he's playing for Toto uh. because he imparts that thing. I think to a certain degree, uh, after all these years of between um, the Kenny stuff, particularly your Chicago era later and listening to some of the live stuff, mm -hmm. I think I have a, a feel for what you are, which I don't know if I could describe it. But what I'm getting at is that another one on your list, Greg Bissonette. Now, Greg Bissonette, oh, I feel you can drop him. I know he plays for Ringo. Uh -huh. You could drop him in a fusion thing. You could drop him in a funk thing, or you could drop him in a metal band. And he would feel like the right thing in all of those, not a guy trying to moonlight in these things. Right. So I feel I don't know exactly what Greg is other than all of those things, as opposed to, I think I know your sound, you know? You're exactly right. And that is so true about, about Greg. Uh, he has done all of it. I mean, Right yeah. out of North Texas State, he was uh, with Maynard Ferguson, you know. I know, and yep. uh, and then he wanted to be David Lee Roth, yeah, you know, he, David with Lee Steve Roth when he came to L.A. Yeah, he was. Yeah. he wanted to uh, a rock gig so badly, and he got the ultimate rock gig with Steve Vai too. You know, and well, that band, yeah. I just I just wanted to give a, a shout out to a friend of the podcast too who's been on before, um, Tommy Taylor, because oh. if you listen to what he did with Christopher oh, Cross, I don't think you would recognize the guy playing with Eric Johnson. Yeah. 
I like that. That's a different drummer to me. And yeah. to his credit, um, he does both extremely well. So uh, I know he's not on the list today, but um, he's a fantastic drummer in his yeah, own sure right. He sure is, so. and I love his playing. Yeah, I was just going to say on on Greg. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've seen him in in Latin situations. I mean, really straight ahead, you know, hardcore Latin, which I love too, and I love playing at. And uh, you know, straight ahead swing. Funk situations, fusion situations, rock, you know, I mean, blast beats on double bass drums, anything you want, Greg can give it to He you. does a video with Rick Beato, like the 20 grooves every drummer must know, or something like that, 20 classic drum grooves, and he goes through all these different styles, and he's legit on all of them, whether he was playing Take 5 or he was playing, uh, you know, a Bonham thing, or he even did the what he called the drunk drummer thing, like the hip hop thing, where they intentionally have stuff oh, yeah, yeah. way out of time. And he did, yeah. he does that live, and it just drives me crazy. <laughs> <laughs> the drunk drummer. So look that one up. But, okay. All right, Tom, cool. on to number two. Yeah, we're getting to the top two. So I don't know if I've heard of this cat here, but uh, explain who this is, Jeff Pokero. <laughs> <laughs> it's not your situation. I just need I'm not so systematic, it's just that I'm an addict for love. <laughs> now, we're talking, of course, of the great, late, great Jeff Picaro. So he's number two, not number oh, one. Oh, man. Well, that and that was a real tough choice to put him as to. Right. Jeff and I were great friends, as Greg and I are as well. And, uh, and man, Jeff, of anybody you can mention really defined he was he was he is the def was the definition of of taste and and groove and there again like i was talking about al jackson the exact mm -hmm. uh the full note value and not being in a hurry to to you what you got some place to be you know <laughs> coming around a corner and you know pushing it too too much you know he was so so the, the mature in his playing and and from the time i saw him he was a, a, a few years younger than me and from the very first time i ever saw him play he always had that about him and uh, and that's usually something that only happens as as a player matures at, at, over the years. But man, all the way back when he was in his twenties, he was already a a full grown man in that respect. You know, <laughs> what were you playing like in your twenties? Where where were you in your career in your twenties? Well, I was in a band uh, right out of high school. I might have told you guys about that. That. Uh, uh, went on to do the soundtrack for a surf film that blew up kind of around the world. And, and uh, as a result, um, you know, I, I got to go on the road opening for the Beach Boys and that and uh, with this band, Honk. And we had a number oh, yeah. record in Hawaii. And, and uh, uh, you know, we were kind of like the in the surf set. Everybody knew who we were as a result of this movie. Yeah, but we were real well. We weren't a surf band in the least, and uh, we were a serious original music band that was asked to do this soundtrack. So uh, my drumming all during that period, I was I was real self conscious of trying to get my time together because in those days, you know, there 
nobody used click tracks for anything. And and uh, right. and it drove me nuts because I'd, I'd go listen to albums with Al Jackson on them or, you know, or Jeff or 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 whoever and go, good God, man, how, do, how does that feel so good? And how does it stay in the same place from beginning to end? And uh, so anyway, uh, I'd say my plan back then, uh, once I got over being too busy, you know, which doesn't work, mm -hmm. <laughs> it was kind of self-consciously trying to stay in the pocket. Uh, I, I, but I always wanted to, to, to not play some, I always was looking for the thing that another drummer hadn't done. I always wanted to come up with a pattern that, that maybe nobody had done. So, uh, to my credit, if I can say that, uh, that kind of now, when I look back and forgive my bad time, <laughs> my timing, mm -hmm. I can at least hear what I was going for. And I yeah. applaud that about myself. Is there one track or multiple that you feel like you did nail the thing where it's like, I don't, I think I'm the first one to do this type of groove. Ah, like you just described. Well, this is it. If it weren't for the intro that I borrowed so heavily from Steve. <laughs> yeah. Do I know it's next up? <laughs> Ooh, spoiler yeah. alert. All right. Well, let's move on to there. Yeah. Yes. Because uh, that was where I was, I was headed that I knew um, that, uh, well, I had the first one that came to mind for me was Gad for my list because you had referenced him. You'd kind of given us a little sneak preview back when we talked to you before and you said that that was heavily influenced by some of the stuff that Steve does on the cymbals and stuff. So his number one drummer, for those that don't know, we're talking about the great uh, doctor, right? Dr. Steve Gadd. Steve Gadd, absolutely. And a well-deserved title. Now, Steve, my God, man, that guy, I mean, has it all. I mean, it all. And like, like we were talking about Greg being able to morph metamorphosize from one form to another and 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 be the perfect guy for that steve is is above and beyond the absolute best at, at that i mean he is one of the greatest straight ahead jazz drummers i've ever heard in my life and as influential doing that as he was is coming up with an innovative drum part for a pop song like 50 ways to leave your your lover, right? Or uh, late in the evening, you know? I mean, that Mozambique beat that he plays on the... Oh my gosh, yeah, oh yeah, my yeah. God. And then not to mention, he just flexes this much musical muscle on the solo on Asia. And it's just, oh, you know, it's, and it's just the tip of the iceberg. You feel all this underneath, even though, you know, it sounds so incredible. It's like, well, how the hell did he do that? Oh, 
Well, and he's just like, well, I was reading the part and it says fill here and hit here, and I just did it. Like, like, Come on, man. <laughs> Is that what he said? He's yeah. like a Martian. Uh, and not yeah. to mention his feel and time are just absolutely exquisite. And uh, same can be said about Jeff's, of course, you know, uh, the time and feel. But Steve has this vocabulary that is just beyond belief. He has a uh, cleverness about the way he plays, too. And this goes back to your 50 ways thing. He has a cleverness about the way he places things. And one of the things that always stuck with me because it, it, it didn't need to happen. It didn't need to be there, but he did it. And now someone like me can appreciate it this many years later. And I'm talking about... Tom, on the fade out of uh, Al Jarreau's, we're in this love together, halftime shuffle, right? Then all of a sudden comes a zaka daka 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 straight fill, and then back into it. We don't define that love as open up the door. Hey, yeah, yeah. Don't you know that we're And then the straight eights is what comes across as sounding syncopated. Yeah. It yeah. does, and it's right along with the synth line. It's just like, oh, I know. God, that is just it, gold. It did it. I know it. I love that. When I was playing with Al, I just laid for that, too. <laughs> yeah. I had to nail it. Yeah. Me, that's it. and I. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. so that's the entire list, but real quick, just to kind of wrap things up, just in a bow for you both to comment on, right. we did a whole episode covering Jeff Picaro. But not so much like his his chops. It was more of his cerebral approach to drumming, which is something that we're just talking about with that straight eights fill in a halftime shuffle, right? Yeah, so right. what have you guys learned from the greats, if you guys each want to comment, in terms of a cerebral approach, if you could distill it down to a sentence or two? What is it that makes these great drummers great beyond just their chops? For me, it's the ability to make a rhythm track maybe just even a drum track that is interesting and can stand by itself and be interesting, changing section to section, verse, like bridge, pre-chorus, chorus, all different yet related, and at the same time completely support the rest of the music that and and never never like step on the vocalist in in the process or or dig me dig me dig me you know right. <laughs> kind of fills <laughs> you know right, uh, right that that to me is the higher art and the highest yes and for me to, uh, my answer to that question would be very similar to it's two part number one it's that and i was going to frame it as saying you can tell when a drummer knows what they're going to play before they sit down uh. You know, they've thought through what they're going to do, which is what you're saying there. And the other thing is that um, it has to do with groove versus fills, which you just referenced as well. What what do they say, Tris, when they're teaching you how to play drums? How do you make your accents stand out? Ah. You play the quiet notes quieter, right? right? right. So if you want your fills to stand out, you got to play a lot of straight time before you go gunning for a fill. Then you get noticed. If you're banging and bashing the whole time, people become just sort of deaf to what you're doing. No to it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So true, John. 
Yeah. All right. Do we uh, reveal our fives? Well, well, let's see. Yeah. So I've only got one of my top five and your top five. And that was Jeff Picaro. Um, and the only reason I didn't put Steve Gadd in there was because I was afraid that my entire list was going to be Yacht Rock Session guys. I'm like, I can't do that. Yeah. So Steve was the one that had to go. I had uh, JR as well. So, and of course, we mentioned Hal Blaine. So those are the three that we have mentioned so far, John. Okay. How about you? Um, so- I have Gadd on my list. Um, so that was obviously his number one. I didn't have Percaro, interestingly. I don't know why that is. I think I hear some things in these other drummers on my list in Triss's playing, so it'll be interesting to see your response to these. Should I give those? Sure, and then I'll give mine the two that I haven't mentioned okay. yet. Um, some of it's an age thing, and I don't mean that offensively. Oh. I just figured that where you started versus maybe what were some of the drummers that people were paying attention to prior to that. So in the 60s, maybe I thought of Ginger Baker. Ah. Definitely. Oh man. Uh, Billy Cobham came to mind for some reason. Just uh, something about the way you bang the kit. I don't know what it is. There's an energy thing that I, I hear in Cobham. Definitely. Um, and I feel like a lot of your parts are structured similar to Steve Smith of Journey. I I don't know where mm. that comes from. I, again, maybe that's because you don't always just boom, crack, boom, crack. You might do cunt, Tom, Tom, cunt, floor, Tom. You know, you're you're using. Uh, the whole kit in the groove, oh. you know. So that's a, obviously a Steve Smith thing. And then I had Gad. And then I also had, I figured that the easy, uh, low-hanging fruit would have been Ringo. So I had Ringo oh. on my list. And you mentioned mm-hmm. about trying to create parts that no one did before. And that was Ringo's special. Absolutely. It sure. sure was. It sure was. You know, he was in the Beatles, right? <laughs> <laughs> you are. Uh, yeah, he was the second drummer. He replaced the original drummer. You're making me feel old. Yeah. Well, I, I'll make you feel old because uh, I had Gene Krupa on my list. Oh, nice. Nice. Because I thought for sure a guy with jazz chops would be like, all right, who's the original modern jazz drummer? And yeah. that was Gene Krupa from Betty Goodman's band. So he's famously the composer of the sing 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 drum part yep, right absolutely yep. i've got stories about all of that oh my god I want that. and then um uh the only other one that you didn't mention was the first one that came to mind um it's not because he's bald <laughs> and it's not because he's built like a brick shit house <laughs> uh it's because i find similarities in your style in kenny arnoff's oh style. i love him man i love kenny yeah. oh my god we so, became friends years ago when he was still with with john cougar cougar yeah, yeah. became melon camp and uh oh man i thank you because i really love his playing and uh he is so solid and talk about playing for the song. That man, he embodies it. He, he, he does. Did. Can I just give provide one little snippet, John, for the listeners sure. um, for a place where he does go off the rails and it actually works? <laughs> um, it's a buried treasure. Are you familiar with his song, Justice and Independence? Oh, yeah. Uh, no, I'm showing my ignorance. I'm sorry. Okay. Well, I'm John. A scarecrow, right? Are you able to? Yep. Are you yep. able to pull that up real quick? Sure. In, Bring it to the two-minute mark. So what this is, it's kind of a, a deep cut, uh, like an album track. And it's my, my favorite song by John Cougar. It never went anywhere. I don't know why. Probably because it's somewhat a re-envisioning of maybe uh, Authority songs, that type uh-huh. of tune. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. But uh, it's just a straight-ahead rocker. And then it gets to a part where the all the music cuts out. And then he goes on this extended riff that's just snare and kick and then it goes into this extended tom-tom rigor at about two minutes which john's going to cue up here
Well, that's what they call a pingy snare drum, though. There's some ringer, or there's no ringers on that, uh, no muffles on that snare drum. Right Holy moly. I love it. Which oh, yeah. also, I, I, I remember telling you about a session uh, I we did for I'm All Right uh, yep. with, uh, with uh, Andy Johns, Glenn's brother, uh, um, and how it was wide open, and I was really concerned about it. You know, are you sure, Andy? And he went, trust me, when it's in the red. But that also, with regards to what you were saying about Steve Smith, uh, right when that album had come out, or or that song had come out, and it was becoming a hit as Caddyshack was, we opened for Journey at Arrowhead Stadium. It was 107 degrees yeah. on the on the playing field, I think, and uh, or no, outside in 120 on the on the yeah, the the where we were playing. And uh, Steve Smith, I'd never met until that sh- that show, and he came up to me after having watched our our set and said, "Man, that pa- that pattern you were playing, but boom boom, but." He said, I love that. I and and it made me feel so good because I mean Steve was needless to say, yeah. is a genius drummer. And uh anyway. It makes sense. I mean, it's not that far off from what he conceived of for Don't Stop Believing, you know, in a in a way in the use of the toms, yeah. And, and or, he, or you're saying, saying he stole that, that from I you. I didn't say that, but I heard that when that record okay. came yeah, out. Yeah. And I didn't want to say, hey. You know Well, that was the that was the part that I thought you might reference when I asked the question earlier about something that you sort of conceived of, and I'm sure you borrowed things, whatever. But like that to me, that's the signature. Oh. That's a signature drum line. Oh, yeah, of, well, man, thank you for for making you dignifying me. <laughs> <laughs> now, it's uh, time gone. <laughs> I should. I wish I'd answered the question. Is what I should. Maybe now we did. So, all right. Well, <laughs> all right. well this was awesome. So, uh, this was a lot of fun. We'll have to do it again. Do I, don't I know get how to do gonna... something unorthodox this week? You sure do. All right, because yeah. last week you uh, you you kept the um, the guest on during a portion of the lightning round. I'm going to do that here. All right, I'm okay. going to use my found at sea, and I'm going to reveal my list. I asked Tris earlier on about, did you used to record and play along with people? Well, that's the way I learned. I didn't take lessons. I learned only by putting on the headphones and playing along. Uh-huh. And, of course, you know, I'm a teenager at the time, 12, 13, so I only had what was available records in the house. So you didn't have Spotify where I could call up anything. But these were the drummers. Uh, that I studied and played along with. So, uh, being from Detroit, big Bob Seger, Silver Bullet Band, Live Bullet, Charlie Martin, God rest his soul, the drumming on that album, that live album, is stellar. Absolutely. Uh, I played along with the Boston record a zillion times. So whether that's hit, uh, Sib or Jim Mazdea, it doesn't matter. That's I studied that one a lot. Yep. Phil Ehart of Kansas, when I was trying to learn some basic prog stuff. Brilliant. Uh, Joe, Joe Morello was my go-to when I wanted to play either Take 5 or uh, he was the master of the brushes. And when I wanted to learn brushes technique, I would kind of copy that. Oh, man. Um, Alan Gratzer of Ario Speedwagon, believe it or not, a really interesting drummer to pay attention to. I agree. Um, 
You mentioned, I think, some of the people that took bits from Garibaldi or some of the slicing and dicing of time signatures. Well, how about Bill Bruford? I tried playing along with Bill Bruford. Uh, I tried to play close to the edge and roundabout along with him. Yes. Um, I played a lot along with the live Chuck Mangione, so that would have been James Bradley Jr. Great drummer. Uh, Yeah. uh, Steve Miller Band, Gary Malibur, played a lot of that. Yeah. Yeah. I played, even though I'm not crazy about his style, I learned a lot playing along with Nick Mason, uh, Pink Floyd. Uh-huh. And then what the drummer I probably played along with the most, <laughs> you're going to love this one, Tris, Danny Seraphine. <laughs> All right. Yeah. You know, I think you had told me that. Yeah, I am I always so flattered if, if, if you are a Danny Seraphine fan and, yeah. and a fan of my playing. I Particularly oh, yeah. flatter because uh, there are still those, I believe, that will not forgive the fact that I don't play like Danny and he cannot mm. replace an original and please yeah. everybody. That's for sure. So, uh, no, there's no way that's tough. That's tough to walk into those shoes. So, you did yeah, it, but, yeah. but Chicago style had evolved over the time. I mean, I'm no drummer, but I don't think the more modern stuff calls for the same stuff that no. Danny was playing. Yeah, so, yeah. All right, John, any final thoughts before we... Uh, you're going to have to find a bass player now to come on and to- count down their top 10 bass players. So hmm. think that one through. <laughs> I've already got somebody in mind, and he happened to have collaborated with uh, Tris in the past. Ooh, I know who you mean. I know who you yep. mean. Uh, okay. All right. <laughs> cool. All right, guys. Well, uh, until next time, Tris, thanks again for coming you back. Bet. What a blast. It's always so much fun with you guys. There you have it. A triple take for Triss's top 10 Tom Tom Ticklers. Totally. <laughs> all right. Well, you got a head start on this lightning round. That wasn't fair. Yeah. Well, it saves time later. So I've okay. covered all the, the 10. You know what's interesting about um, Triss is that he, and I think you alluded to this, he crosses into so many different genres in his playing style, mm-hmm. which I think made him so flexible for the various places that particularly Kenny Loggins took him, you know, when they were, when he was conceiving of the drum parts. Right. So by the time he took over in Chicago and they were touring, he had to play the old Seraphine stuff. He had something that was already there to work from, but still that was from fusion jazz all the way up to playing straight ahead, you know, Chicago 17 kind of stuff. So he's done all that. Yep. Pretty cool. Yep. And uh, when you read the uh, autobiography, Kenny Loggins book, it's like, you know, Kenny wanted to take his music into this R&B direction at some point. Yeah. So Tris had to be along for the ride there and help guide it. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. Well, uh, can I get to my lightning round then? You may begin. All right. So wait, I'm gonna, wait, 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 what? We never did the sound effect. Uh, oh, do it. Okay. Okay. It feels so incomplete without it. All right. Yes. Uh, I have uh, a correspondence from listener Christian. Who do my... play that sound effect now? <laughs> what sound effect is that? The mail's in. Oh, yes. Please. Okay. Mail's in. All right, there we go. Okay, any others that we should clear the deck with? I don't know. Bundle. All right. <laughs> ah, that did it. Okay. So, listener Christian, this is not uh, our friend Christian Kratz. This is okay. a different listener Christian. Uh, for Found at Sea, he's writing to us because there is something lost at sea that I was not able to track down. Maybe you will know of it. If not, maybe the listeners would know of it can 
refresh his memory where to find it. Um, he writes, I'm trying to track down the mid-90s TV special with Kenny Loggins that featured Everett Harp playing sax. There is no sign of it anywhere. Any clues? Does that ring a bell to you at all? That doesn't even ring a bell to me at all. I know. No. Me, I, the first thing I thought, I didn't know how knowledgeable listener Christian was. Turns out quite. Okay. So I asked him, was it the, you know, the outside live from the Redwoods concert maybe, or the yeah. time that Kenny Loggins was in um, the Grand Canyon. It was neither, neither of those. So if you know what he's talking about, mid nineties, Give us some love in the comments and steer listener Christian on so he can uh, be found at sea. Very good. But while we're on the topic, yep. and because it's somewhat related to Trissa Bowden, um, can we just play, I think, something that did get lost at sea from the live uh, at the Redwoods? Because everyone plays the What a Fool Believes version. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think This Is It is kind of interesting. So why don't we hear a little bit of This Is It. All right, so that is the two for Lost at Sea. Um, is it still me? Is I, am I doing the whole lightning round? No. Oh, okay. I got a buried treasure. Okay, then why don't you go? The map. All right. All right, all right. Buried right. treasure. Let me collect my notes, gather my thoughts here. Okay. Uh, my buried treasure is a Triss groove. And what's buried about this is a lot of people didn't know that even though we talked about him recording with Firefall now, that he had done an album back in the what, early 80s with Firefall, the Clouds Across the Sun album. And so that's what makes this somewhat buried. But if I were to, say, put together a resume of somebody asking, well, what does Triss's playing sound like? If I had to mm. try and uh, sort of get him a gig, I would be able to, I think, in just in the intro of this one song, give you the entire glossary of what he offers because he's got the thing that he alluded to that he did at the beginning of heart to heart with kenny what he called the sort of thing that he took from steve gad where he's kind of pinging around on the symbols a little bit of hits on the toms creating this mysterious glistening sort of sound he does that on this intro and then when the groove kicks in you could tell it's i mean it's locked west coast yachty type groove percaro influences or echoes in it so this is the uh title track clouds across the sun It's all there, right in the intro. I think his entire resume. I think you're right. All not all his tricks. No, 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 no. But if you said, uh, "How do you get? Who is this guy? What does he sound like?" There's how he sounds. If somebody asked me what does Firefall sound like outside of the hits, I would point to that song as yeah, well. Yeah, that's true too. Yeah. So yeah. I love that record um, and I love that track. Okay. Um, so should I do my Barry Treasure? This yeah. is all out of whack. I know. Okay. Uh, Barry Treasure. the H again. This was kind of um, news was sort of circulating in the Yacht Rock nerd circles this week in which we recorded this episode because Stevie Woods catalog had been right. had found its way to Spotify. Finally, Uh, the reason it's sort of connected to today's episode, because it's not to be confused with Steve Wood, who was the keyboard player 
for Kenny Loggins for a while. Touring. Okay, yeah. I did not know that. I've thought they were the same. They are not the same. Okay. So the uh, there's three albums out. One really stands out to me. I love the 1981 "Take Me to Your Heaven," mm-hmm. um, but I'm sitting here listening to it, and I had not made the connection when finally a song, a cover comes up from the Wilson brothers yep. of the same name. And here's Stevie Woods version of take me to your heaven. Take me to your heaven. Open up your wings. Wrap your love around me. I want to hear the angels sing. Take me to your heaven. Never, never land. I've never kissed an angel, but then I've never had pretty close to the original yeah 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 uh, no Yachty, look, yeah for sure yeah um of course you, the original was too but that was in a like like a nashville approach didn't they record wilson brothers in nashville I something like know. that anyway check. we've digressed yes um i think that's the oddest of the three yeah um anyways uh cool so long-awaited stevie woods catalog has hit streaming yep. yeah now, all right now so why don't be... you go to your off the map so we can still get a snake draft out of this okay Whew. Uh, <laughs> Barely. It means a lot to me. Um, I'm going to go off the map because I referenced the fact that uh, Triss's style at times reminds me of Kenny Aronoff. Okay. I'm going to go to the early John Mellencamp catalog. How early? Uh, 1980. Ooh. This is off the record, Nothing Matters and What If It Did. And what If It Did. <laughs> <laughs> and this is not, um, again, this is not yacht. It's not even yacht adjacent, but original idea behind uh the off the map is something that would sound good inside of a yacht rock playlist right and here's uh this is kenny arnoff had joined the group but was not yet the drummer ed green is on drums here oh i think he's doing percussion on ain't even done with the night like a modest hit for him before he really hit it big before hurt so good came and blew it out of the water yeah that was kind of i think that got some airplay soft rock area i remembered it i just recently heard it again for the first time in quite a while and uh, i remembered it it's a a nice little tune lots of reverb on that tambourine boy (laughs) hey they they were featuring kenny arnold that's it yes i'm gonna bring him to the front okay and what do you have for off the map well one of the drummers that tris uh, talked was this what is his number one now i can't recall uh steve gadd so yeah. um, here I've got an off the map thing that uh, features Steve Gadd, and we know uh, some of the things that we talked about this uh, Paul Simon stuff that he did and uh, that. But prior to James Bradley Jr. becoming the regular drummer and the quartet that Mangione had put together, he was using sort of session guys. And I didn't know until recently I saw an interview with Steve Gadd that he had been long-time close friends with Chuck Mangione. Played with him on and off all the time, even though he doesn't appear on a bunch of records, so I'm assuming he means live dates. But uh, this one is off of the Main Squeeze album, Chuck Mangione. It's the first track off of that. And what I want to take notice of this is it's it's kind of a complicated feel to this tune. It has multiple like time feels all under one tempo. The tempo doesn't change, just the feel that he's doing does. 
and the way Steve handles all the different sections here, I think is really, really cool. So here's what amounts to like the pre-chorus section. And we'll just note how his right hand is playing like a very jazz bebop sort of pattern. And on the snare, he's tapping out along with the melody of the keyboard. It's pretty cool. And then at the end, the way he beautifully winds us back to the original ballad feel. So, wonderful stuff from Steve Gadd, and it's uh, a lot of people didn't know that he played much with Mangione, but... I just found out like 10 seconds ago. Okay. Or whenever you started talking, I tuned out for a minute. Might have been 12. Okay. Yeah, I had no idea that was Steve Gadd. I always thought it was, what's his name, on everything. But I can hear some of the tricks that Tris yes. does in that. Okay, yeah. The way he's able to handle both feels. Now that you say that, yeah. Yep. Well, speaking of tricks, um, yep. I was the lone bass player surrounded by uh, two drummers today. And I have a question for you. It's kind of like Terran Porter when they did double drummer on Doobie Brothers. Very similar, yes. Similar. Uh, okay, so a question from bass player to drummer. Okay. Do you enjoy when... The bass player springs a surprise on you, say, I don't know, a, a, a ill-timed pop or an extended fill right where you were planning to do your little drum fill? Yeah, okay, I do. Well, then you'll enjoy this. Hi, this is Tris and Bowden, and you're listening to Out of the Main. Ahoy polloi! Ahoy polloi! 